for listening to Hope Central's latest message. You can learn more about Hope Central or find more messages at hopecentral.org.au. everyone. It's nice to be here. I haven't been here much because I've obviously been in Bali and then I was at Gawler and I was in Melbourne, but I'm back and I'm really glad to be here today. Um, yeah, thank you. I actually missed everyone. I don't know if you missed me, but you don't need to say because then that gets a bit awkward, doesn't it? <coughs> um, can I have those stage lights down a bit, Russ, because I need some soft lighting. I'm 52. I don't... <laughs> And also, I need to be able to read the back screen. So, um, before I start, doesn't need to be that much, jeez. <laughs> Far out. See what happens. Today, I'm going to be sharing a little bit of my life and Joe's life. And this might be something you don't know about us, or it might be something that you do know about us. But Joe and I have been married for 30 years, as he keeps telling everyone. And we, in that time, have renovated at least 15 houses. Wow, jeez, Mark, worried about that. You're right. um, I know I don't look like a renovator, but I have the scars, the outfits. I even washed my renovator jacket today. Is anyone, when you do home things, do you have like a certain outfit you wear? Right, I've actually just done a clean out. So this is a wash jacket and it's also not too, not, it's not smelly and not too painty, but normally I wear pants and my pants always have paint on them. So when I go to Bunnings, they're like, have you been painting? I'm like, no. They're just, this is what they look like all the time, like when I'm renovating. So this is probably for a lot of my years, marriage years, this is what I look like two days a week and don't smell real great either, to be honest. Um, because what we discovered was when we got married, we lived in Canada and then we moved back. I'm not going to keep that on because I'll get too hot. When we lived in Canada and moved back, we didn't have any money. We were living with my mum and dad and we had Charlotte. And we didn't have any money because our money was tied up in our house in Canada and it hadn't sold yet. So we stayed with mum and dad and got jobs and we saved $1,000. $1,000. Well, for some people, that is impressive, right? And we saved $1,000 and we put a deposit on a little bungalow in Paynham. And we renovated this house over the course of a few years. Um, We then had Lily in that time as well. And then we got the call to be the pastors of this church, which was in Anglevale. So we're like, well, that's too far, Paynham to Anglevale. So we decided that we'd sell this house and we made a lot of money like a lot of money, like double what we paid for it. And we went, hey, it's tax-free. We're good at this. So in that time, we made a move and we moved out to Gawler. So this is the house that we bought. Some of you guys have been to that house just near the train station. And 1890s, it was a return veranda um, house. And what you can't see in that picture is it was full of fleas. I'm allergic to fleas, didn't know that. Uh, white ants, windows eaten out, uh, 
a whole lot of stuff, but probably the worst thing, other than the damp running down the walls, like we'd wake up in the morning and there'd be water running down the walls because we'd been trying to heat the rooms, which hatched the fleas, actually. So the water... Yeah, great. Um, the water would be running down the walls when we'd wake up. So it was, it was a challenge. So this massive old house that we'd bought. But the biggest issue we had... I actually brought you a picture of what it looked like when we sold it three years ago. Um, the biggest problem we had was the floors were really uneven. So you'd walk into a room and you kind of felt like you were slightly going downhill. And when you were in the kitchen, the kitchen counters were level and they'd built the kitchen around the slope of the floors. So the bottom was like this. So they'd, rather than fix the floors, they just made it all work. So we lived in this house and then our first job in this house was to jack up the floor joists. So Joe spent actually three months, two days a week, under the floors, jacking them up and I was on top of the floors with a level and I let him know when it was even. And we had to do that. That was a really big job. I brought you a picture of some joists. So if you're not a builder like myself not a builder, but have some skills. If you're not a builder, a joist can be in your roof or it can be in your floor. And it's the thing that is underneath the um, floor or it's what the ceiling sticks to. So if, if that's not working, I don't know, anyone watch old home reno shows? It's always the joist, isn't it? It's always the joist. So that is a really big issue. So we had really, really weak joists, so much so that they were uneven like this. So if the kids had a marble, the marble would go, woo, like that down, our, you know, down the corridor. So we really needed to strengthen up the joists and straighten them up. See, that... Mm-hmm. Yep. Real handy, isn't it? Yep, there you go. That's what it looked like. And the problem with having weak joists is you can fall through them if it's bad enough. I remember we were at Brian and Rita's house and Joe went through their joists one day because, yeah, he actually is a lot heavier than Brian and Rita and he put his foot down and he went through and then they had to do some repairs. Um, or also the other problem is your ceiling can collapse or give way. Like if you tile on top of tile or something like that, then it's actually, it's actually you know, really concerning. So weak joists are really a big problem. The problem is the joist generally is under too big a load. So that's a snapshot of what a joist, old joist, looks like. Doesn't look good, does it? It's quite frightening. If you've ever bought a house and you've crawled around under the floor or looked in the ceiling and you see what's been cut out for plumbing or air conditioning ducts or a whole heap of layers, it actually really is quite frightening because that is what you're standing on and you put your people in there, your heavy furniture, and you can actually go through the floor. So, you know, it is important. So what I'm going to ask you is how do you feel today? Do you feel like you're carrying a load that is beyond your capacity? Do you feel a bit like that? And I think sometimes we do, don't we? And as Joe was saying last week that Jesus carries our load, I'm going to ask you the same thing this week. Do you feel like he's carrying your load or are you still carrying too much of it? We're going to look at my favourite... Bible person, other than Jesus, of course, King David. And there's a story in 1 Samuel 30 about a load that he was carrying. And 
David at this time was an adult, was married, had, children, had lots of children, and he and his mighty men were hiding from King Saul because Saul wanted to kill him, right? So they were in hiding, and they run out of options. I mean, it's the desert, right? So tricky places to hide. Um, so they're running out of options. So David, at a last resort, went and camped with the Philistines, Now, what story do we remember about David and Goliath? What was Goliath? Philistine, right? So he, you know, the guy shot in the head, now he's with his family. Probably a little tense, little tense, I would say, little tense. So David brought his mighty men and they were were camping, hiding out with all their wives and everything. And, And that happens in war, doesn't it? I mean, we see, you know, what's going on in... Ukraine and and other countries in Africa, people are displaced because of war, of course. So we get that that was a really complex time. But during that time, um, the Philistines had to go to battle because they were under threat. So David and his mighty men go to battle with them, which happens in war, unfortunately. So this is what happens while they are camped out. I'm just going to turn my head here so I can read it. 1 Samuel 30, verse 3 to 6. When David and his men reached Ziklag, my new favourite name for a place, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. So while David and his mighty men are out fighting, the enemy comes, another enemy, because there's lots of enemy in wars, isn't there? He's out fighting someone else's battle, and his wives... And his children and his mighty men's children are all taken. And David, all of a sudden, is under the most pressure he's ever been under because his own people are talking about stoning him. That must have been massive. The thing that does bother me in this is that the men were bitter because their sons and daughters were missing. Notice something's missing? Yeah, they didn't mention the wives. What's going on there? Different sermon. (laughs) All right. So I was really curious as I was thinking about my own pressure and your pressure, the things that we face and the weight that we're under all the time. And I think we all are, whether you're 10 or whether you're 90, there is pressure in our lives. And I've, been reading, I've just finished reading this book called Women and Leadership, which was written by Julia Gillard. And I don't, I don't know if you like Julia Gillard or not. That's not really my point. Curiously, three weeks before she got elected, she was in this space and because um, she was, uh, I don't know, deputy or something like that. And we had a breakfast for Nick Champion. And Tony Schripper had a T-shirt on that said Julia for PM just being cheeky, and three weeks later, she ended up being the PM. So whether you know her or like her, she became Prime Minister in 2010 to 2013, and she became Prime Minister in a leadership spill, so that means within the party, kick that one out, put this one in. So I 
I actually quite like Julia Gillard. Reading the book, I was really challenged by the things that she dealt with. And she is our only female Prime Minister, so I think she does have a unique perspective on pressure that perhaps we don't understand. A few things that I... I mean, there's lots of things she's known for. Her, her speech, that 15-minute speech, I just listened to that the other day, um, about women's rights, and, you know, she really did did have a point of view. So whether you like her or not, what she did do was she introduced the NDIS scheme. Didn't realise that. She introduced the National Chaplaincy Scheme. Didn't know that either. And she oversaw the rollout of the NBN. So she actually did some pretty big things in her three years, which is, I think, amazing. Ironically, she lost her leadership in a leadership spill. She didn't even get to be voted on by the people. Well, she did, and then she got voted out by her own people. What does that tell you? Um, I love this quote. She shared of her bias in the book. The book is about women navigating leadership, which I really appreciated. And it's not a bitter book, it's just a book of reality. And she talked about her challenges of being a female with a unique perspective and the pressure that that brought on her, the pressure to be something different. And I love this quote from the book. It says, leadership actually isn't all about the hair, but sadly judgments about women are still based more on their appearance than is true for men. And I think in the media these days, we do have you know, our leaders have even more pressure, don't they? Because their private lives are no longer private. What they look like... I mean, I remember seeing photos of her in the paper wearing a tracksuit. Who cares? But it was big news. She used to wear those bright-coloured tracksuits and people would take photos of her. I don't even know why that's an issue. But I think reading that book reminded me of sometimes there's more pressure on you as a person or me as a person because of my gender, because of my race because of my financial situation or where I've been placed in life. And we do all have a lot of pressure at times. We all face pressure. You face pressure whether you're in grade six or whether you're in retirement. There's pressures, isn't there? You know, I was just talking to someone this morning that's retired. There's pressure either way, and we have a lot of pressure that we deal with. This is my house six weeks before we moved in. That is actually my lounge room. So one of the things that we worked out, the reason we ended up renovating houses, was because ministry doesn't pay real well, and particularly when you've got a small church. You don't get paid very much at all. So Joe and I have renovated and sold and flipped and done all kinds of homes, and we bought this house when we sold our big house, and this is our lounge room. Yeah, six weeks before we move in. And you can see the joists exposed. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, in our lives, the things that put weight on us. And your journey is, is not that. That's my journey. And me living in that dust and, and starting again, that's a choice that I make. And sometimes the pressures we're under are really just because of choices. And sometimes you do it just because you want to do something better for your family or for your financial situation. But sometimes I just think we put ourselves under too much pressure. See, with a joist, it can be damaged by termites, people cutting into things, um, impact, trauma, a whole range of things, husbands cutting things up, pulling things down. But we have a very different experience, don't we? We're under pressure 
just because the reality of life. And it's a, a lot of times it's under our control, like what Nick and Carol have just been through. They, they didn't know that was coming. Pressure just comes. But are you ready for it is the question. So I have been under enormous pressure at times. We've been under enormous financial pressure. Um, we would have times that Joe would say to me, do not spend any money for three weeks. Do not spend any money for three weeks. And I'm sure you guys have all been there too. We're not unique and, and we're just living our life. But financial pressure can be really hard, can't it? That's a really big one for people. Um, you know, it might look all shiny now, but we've had a really long time of trying to grow and develop. And you guys might as well. And sometimes the pressure just becomes too much, doesn't it? It really does feel like you're under some weight that you can't bear. I'm just going to do a demonstration. Are you ready? Oh, good. You think so? I hope so, Simone. All right. I want you to think about this representing you or me. Okay? This is you or me. A joist actually goes this way. So this is you or me. And a joist sits on a truss. Okay? And the joist has to run through like that. We happy with that? Everyone can see that? Good. All right. So there's a lot of things that put us under pressure. And I want you to hear what God is saying to you about your level of load on each one of these things. I haven't picked these words by accident. I've picked these words because God wants to talk about it. I'm going to not do that one first. All right, let's do this one. How is your physical health today? How is it? Is that a pressure that you can't manage? I don't know how this is going to go, but let's see. Okay. How is your self-control and discipline? Are the choices you're making day to day putting you under more pressure than you need to be under? Think about that. What's your faith look like today? Is it making you feel free or do you feel like you need more of it and you're grasping for more? Do you need to build your faith today? How's your courage level today? Are you feeling brave or are you scared to make the tough choices you need to make? It's tricky. And lastly... This is one, one is huge. How is your mental health today? Are you feeling like you can carry the load that is on your shoulders? See, the problem with this, it's too much, isn't it? It's too much. You can't, you can maybe deal with one of these, but when this gets combined with this, and then you have a crisis of this, then you lose this, it's too much. You can't hold it all up. You really can't. I'm just going to put some down. Just, I do have an injury from practising this, so I just don't want to go there again. It's not terrible, but, you know, it's trying to carry too many things at once. 
So what do you need to address today? Probably one of those, if not all of them. I don't know, maybe two. Which one is the straw that breaks your back? See, the solution can only be found in God. The next verse after the battle that that David was in, it says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Because it's actually not about you carrying that weight, but it's about you giving that weight to God. You don't need to hang on to it. Let me explain to you about sistering. All right, so we've already talked about... I'm just going to put these here so I don't end up with one on my foot because that's going to go on YouTube, isn't it? So, it's going on YouTube anyway, but you know, an epic fail of pastor's reel? It'll be that. So, if this represents you or me, this is a joist, and if this represents you or me and it's weak... I mean, this doesn't look real thick. Would you want this holding up your house? No. If this represents one of us, how do we become stronger? We need to be sistered, which is, see that stronger beam running? This is a bad illustration because it's not as long. I'll do two together and we'll pretend that they're one. The beam becomes strong by being sistered. So can you see what I've just done? So now this weak beam, it's not replaced and it still looks the same, but it's sistered by a super thick piece of timber that runs the same length and is the same weight. It's exactly, you know, supporting. So it, it looks like I'm doing something, but I may be doing 10%. Who's doing 90? Yeah? Can you see what God's saying to us today? Interesting. So, sistering is something coming alongside you and carrying the weight for you. So today, my friends, I'm going to say sister up. Sister up. A lot of language about men in the Bible, but today we're talking about the girls. See, being a disciple of Jesus is actually knowing this is not enough on its own. I need to be sistered up with something that's way bigger than me, way fatter than me, way stronger than me, way more determined than me. See, being a disciple is actually knowing that your life completely is dependent on God for success. And knowing you need a saviour now, not just when you die. It's about your salvation journey. It's not about the end product because your journey is, is what's shaping you and what's helping you, your family and your community. So is being weak bad? I don't like it. I'm going to be really honest. I do not like being weak. I'm a strong female, I have a good job, I work hard, I do not like being weak. But you know what? It's when I'm weak that God is strong. That is when there is a difference. When I think I can do it on my own, then God isn't in play. 
It's only when I know I'm weak and that I need God that, that things happen. And when I'm weak, I'm aware that I need God. Are you? When I'm weak, I rely on God. And I, I'm confident that you do too. Psalm 28, 7 to 9. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my song I praise him. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Let that be our prayer today, hey? When I'm weak, I also rely on others. And that's what a church community is. It's the others as well. So how comfortable are you asking for help when you're weak? It's interesting, isn't it? When we are hurt, we want to retreat and not get vulnerable rather than be vulnerable. It's just human nature, I'm sure. This scripture here, I think, is great. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And whatever I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not aware of his schemes." I may not be aware of all Satan's schemes, but this scripture talks about if I'm offended and don't forgive, that's working in Satan's favour. If I stay in offence and find division and retreat and don't connect anymore, then I feel like Satan's plan's working. And it's working for you too. I mean, this church is half what it was before COVID. Did that plan work? Seems like it works somehow, doesn't it? You know, there might, people might have gone to other churches, that's fine, but the reality is there was a disruption in our midst because people got offended. Or, you know, it's just tricky, isn't it? Romans 15, one says, we, are strong, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Okay, <clears throat> this is me, this is God, This is not me. This is other Christians. So what God not only wants us to do is be sistered up with him, he wants us also to be sistered up with others because you can't just be in a relationship with God and be a disciple. You actually have to be in relationship with fellow believers and we're going to be talking about that all next year as we look at healthy church. We have to be in relationship, in connection with other people as well. We have to be growing, have to be accountable. We have to have people that we can support and that support us. The problem is when you feel better. That's when the problem is. See, when you're weak, you know God steps up, right? A lot of you guys have probably been Christian a long time. But it's when you feel better that you kind of go... Yeah, I'm all right, I'll just go back over here, don't need God. It's, it's actually then that you're in danger because you've had that brief relief of thinking you're strong enough. 
but the problem is, I'm still this. I might have been healed, but I'm still just this. So what I need is I need to remain in relationship with God. I need to be sistered up. And I need my Christian friends to be on the other side because with that, I'm infallible. But as soon as I think, you know what, I'm offended or you know what, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all better, I'm actually not any stronger than I was before. I might be healed, but I can't make myself thicker. This is it. And this goes for you too. You need to stay sisted up. You really do. So just want to share a couple of thoughts about how Jesus navigated his toughest situation in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus knows he's about to face crucifixion on the cross. We know he goes and prays, wants to pray a prayer and talk to God about it, see if he can get out of it. And what he does is he takes his three closest buddies with him and he talks to them and then he goes up and he talks to God. So see the relationship there? He's got his friends here, three closest buddies and Jesus. A miracle happening, four mates together, love it. And then he goes up and prays, and then he comes back, and this is what he says. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. Even Jesus recognises that just a relationship with God is not enough. He needs his buddies. And you do too. You do. There's a lot of loner Christians going on and there's a lot of people waltzing in and waltzing out but you need to be connected well to some people in this body if it's your church. Absolutely. Because that's how you stay strong. What can we see in this picture? What can you see? Brother Glenn, they're actually screws but yes... What's that? The the joists are sisted up. And what's holding them together? Screws. Because there's an anchor point that is in the sistering. This, it doesn't just stick on its own, does it? I'm, I'm not stuck like this. It actually takes a fixing point. So I'm going to suggest there are three fixing points that we need in our lives. The first one is trust. You need to have the drive of trust in God in your life and the drive of trust in fellow believers. You need to have your people that you trust. So that's the first fixing point. How do you really trust? If I can be honest... I would say that I've had less people ask me for advice in the last five years than ever. People no longer are looking for, I don't know, maybe it's me. I know the other staff are the same. But people aren't having conversations about, what do you think about this? And I'm thinking about meeting, you know, being in a relationship with this person. Or there's, I don't know, I feel like there's a lack of trust that you're leaders are going to make, help you make good decisions. Maybe you think you just make them on your own. But gone are the days of people actually coming and saying, hey, pastors, what do you think? 
And I would love to be in a place that people are coming to us with questions rather than crisis. That's when people come to us. People aren't coming with questions anymore. I feel like it's a lack of trust, if I can be so bold. And do you trust other people if you don't maybe trust me? Is there someone else you're going to trust for big conversations? Do you trust God is going to give you the right decision or the right answer? The second screw represents communication. Now, communication is simply prayer when you're talking to God, right? How much communication are you having with God? Is it just a quick prayer in the car or is it actually sitting down devoted to God? Only you know. Communication with other people is called honesty, chatting, or maybe even spilling your guts if it's really bad, isn't it? Anyone done that before? Who are you talking to? Who are you investing in in that timber scenario? The last one is the screw of experience. See, the more you trust, the more you communicate, the more you drill down into a deeper relationship with God, the more confidence you develop over time, the more you realise that whatever you're going through is just a season and it will pass. It will pass. It might not feel like it now. Talk to someone that's 80 about the thing that you're going through. Things pass. They pass. Just hang in there. So the third screw is the screw of experience because it's when you don't withdraw because it's hard. It's when you stay connected to God and to Christian believers. Do you give up too easily? Is this the one that you need to work on? Maybe. So what do you need today? The ushers are passing around some, everyone's going to take home a screw today. And on that screw says, tighten up. I would love you to take it home with you and put it somewhere that gives you a visual reminder that you need God and that you need others. Tighten up. If I can encourage you today to do anything with my tricky message, it's this. You see, David was already practised at being strengthened in the Lord before the crisis. He was practised at crisis preparation. He was tight, tight. Are you tight? Is your prayer life ready for your challenges? Are your relationships ready for your challenges? Are you prepared for a battle in the future? Because being prepared is way more important than just coasting along right now. David was prepared. A couple of things just to finish with. You are not, I am not, close enough to God yet. We're on a journey and it's a great journey. It is your responsibility to get closer and what a great thing. I've, I've, this year I've reorganised my, 
my week and my devotion time and I just love my devotion time so much more because I've given it more space. I'm not saying you've got to reinvent the world, but you you might just need to find a bit more space so you can build your closer relationship with God. It's really, it's just been such a blessing to me. You are not close enough to others. Do you have a close few that you love and support and they support you equally back? I, I hear a lot of our team talk about needs being put on them, but I am interested to see who's supporting them back. Maybe you guys feel like that too in your own life. I would really love you to take this screw. I'm going to put mine with my toothbrushes. I'm not a leave things out kind of person. It's not going to be out anywhere. But I'm going to put it with my toothbrushes so I remember to tighten up. Or maybe you want to put it with your Bible. It's not a great bookmark, and we definitely didn't get these out in kids' church today. They're a bit rough. What are you going to do to get tighter with others? We are just going to finish in a second. And I've said a lot. And I don't care if you don't hear any of it, to be honest. What I care about is for you to think, what is going to be my strategy in the battle? So we're going to finish, and, and uh, the band's going to come up, and we're going to do a song together. And then I am actually going to ask you if you need, not, not prayer, as in traditional prayer, but if you need to respond and go, you know what, I want to reset, I want to reset today, after we've sang and got our hearts to settle a little bit more, we're going to have a time of just praying corporately up the front together. If you feel like this message has spoken to you and God is saying something that you need to be aware of. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.